You are listening to Scriptures for Patriots, Overcoming America's Enemies with Christian Self-Government. I am your host, Hassan Barry Durmaz. I'm in the middle of a series entitled American Christian Principles of Government. This is principle four today that I'll, that I'll be introducing to you. Principle, principle four, part four, on the subject of property. This series is dedicated to two of my teachers who are considered master teachers in America's Christian history and government. That is James B. Rose and Miss Catherine Dang. Mr. Rose passed from the King's Land in January of 2019, and I wrote a tribute to his life and his ministry. I'm going to make that available with this episode. This is episode 42 of this podcast ministry, but I did write that a couple years ago. And I trust that that will bless you if you'll access that uh, and get a taste of how this man impacted my life to the point of tears when I was writing this tribute. I was reflecting on the times that we've had. Very thankful for his graciousness to have me in his home have meals with him and his family. And it's no small thing for me to honor him in particular because of the time we spent with one another outside of the classroom. And that speaks of his character and a truth that I learned from the Foundation for American Christian Education, and that is teaching and learning is relationship. That is the Jesus methodology of teaching and learning, and that is, it is undergirded and on a foundation of cultivating relations. Okay. So I will have the tribute to James Rose available uh, somewhere here in the show notes. And so I thank, I am ever so grateful for the ministry of James Rose. He's given me many blessed memories now that he has passed. And I thank Miss Catherine Dang, who is still alive and well on the King's land, doing much good to advance. Liberty is the law. If you're new to listening to this podcast ministry, I encourage you to find me online, my family ministry at libertyisthelaw.us. There's much information there as to what we're about, and I invite others who want to do something together better, better together than we can separately and individually, as much as God does work through individuals. 
that is our first American Christian principle of government. God works through individuals. So if you're a member, as a point of review, we have the king's principle of individuality versus collectivism. If you want to listen to that, that was episode 39. But individuality, the statement of that principle is that God works through individuals. And that is the Christian idea of man. And then building on individuality, the second American Christian principle of government is self-government versus manipulation. You can get that content going back to episode 40, where the right idea of government and the Christian idea of government is self-government. And that is to say, faithful over little, put over much. Faithful over a few things, be ruler over many things, ruler over many cities even, as Jesus taught in that particular parable. All right. We want to get clear on these governmental principles, these American Christian principles of government. These principles were in, they are in the Bible. I'm giving you plenty of scriptures to support these ideas. And these ideas were biblical and rooted in Christ long before they were found in America. The evidentiary record is there for anybody, anyone who is wanting to know the truth about this nation. This nation is being destroyed systematically for a long time before you and I were born when we understand that the foundation of this country is, as an American, the foundation of this country is self-government. And so if that is a foreign concept to you, you don't hear people talking about self-government, that's why we are being dispossessed by our enemies. You see? So the way we overcome our enemies is to govern ourselves, and the individual is properly governed when, when under the rule of Jesus Christ. And that's the other side of the equation from American is to be Christian. And that is to be empowered from on high with burden-removing, yoke-destroying power. That's the American Christian who is self-governed under the rule of Christ. That's the second principle of our founding era government. Thirdly, we have the next principle of America's heritage of Christian character or Christ character. And the statement of that principle is found in this phrase that is very implicating, needing to be meditated on, and that is, power is guarded by problems. Power is guarded by problems. When you walk in the character of Christ, you don't walk in that just because you say that's what you 
are. It is going it is going to cost you something. To walk in the power of Christ. You will be challenged, you will have adversity, you will have conflict. Because to walk in true Christ character, which is a proven disposition, you're going to go through essentially hell on earth. Hell on earth. That's about walking through the devil's territory and not letting him touch you in your innermost being. That's, you, you don't let darkness touch you. You let the light of Christ have its way. All right. So that's America's Heritage of Christian Character. You can listen, go back and listen to that episode, 41. And now moving into the fourth principle of America's Christian form of government, actually American Christian principles of government, I'm going to unpack for you today this world overcoming idea of property and give you the distinctly Christ idea of property, which is that which you don't see. So that in the words of our founding father, James Madison, in 1792, he said that conscience is the most sacred of all property. Conscience is the most sacred of all property. When have you ever heard that? Well, I certainly did not. 20 some 27 years ago until I did hear it as an adult totally foreign ideas to me at that time as an adult and perhaps you may be saying that of yourself as you listen to this podcast podcast episode on property that of property, conscience is the most sacred of it. So as we get into this idea of property, this is a governmental principle. You see? Let's look at some definition. And so where do we go for good definitions, class? I trust you know by now from listening to me, if you have been with me for some time, is that my trusty resource for definitions that are distinctly American and then Christian, meaning biblical, is Webster's American Dictionary of the English Language, published in 1828. Webster's 1828 Dictionary, I encourage you to get a hold of that dictionary from the Foundation for American Christian Education. Brand new. You could search it online. They're available out there on eBay. 
perhaps Amazon. Uh, try other sources as well. If you can do that. <laughs> uh, like buy directly from the foundation. But that dictionary is a gem of a resource. When we're talking about studying our law, our, our, our of our declaration, uh, well, that's our birth certificate of 1776 and our law of the Constitution. Let's get to word definitions that uh, that are close to that era, and that would be there's none other, none as none other than that dictionary, the 1828 Noah Webster Dictionary. And when you get that, you will see that there's some green pages in the front written by Rosalie Slater. She was one of the co-founders of the Foundation for American Christian Education. That is a gem biography of Noah Webster. Wonderful to have that. And that uh, and his testimony, uh, written by Webster himself. You'll hear, you'll read, I shouldn't say here, you'll read of Noah Webster's conversion to saving faith in Jesus Christ. It's in his original dictionary. Color me surprised why it's not in current editions of Webster's Dictionary. But if you want to have one piece of, of a treasure trove of what's good about this country, get that dictionary. In Webster's Dictionary, we're going to look up uh, the biblical basis. Well, no. Yeah, for property. <laughs> yeah, for property. And I'm going to refer to... Uh, let me just look at here. Notes. 45 and 46. Yes. Webster's definition of property, I read here, the exclusive right of possessing, enjoying, and disposing of a thing, its ownership. In the beginning of the world, the Creator gave to man dominion over the earth, Genesis 1, 26-30, over the fish of the sea and the fowls of the air and over every living thing. This is the foundation of man's property in the earth, and in all its productions. All its productions. Wonderful definition there. We're going to look at a few key words, but before we do, notice that in the definition of property, Noah Webster uses a passage from the Bible, Genesis 1, 26 to 30, sorry, 26 to 30, chapter 1, And he underscores the truth in that passage that God has created man with a clear mandate right there at the beginning of his created life. Man is under a mandate, a divine mandate to exercise dominion on his land. Exercise dominion. That is so key. When we don't exercise dominion over the created order of his land 
and the creeping things within the land. The default position is dominating over over man. The domination over man. And so if you want to know good government from government that is not of him, that is evil, it has to do with how much man is allowed and protected in his divine mandate to exercise dominion on the king's land. There is is no shortage of agencies whose sole purpose is for them to dominate over individuals and thus forbid forbid us us to fulfill this clear mandate from heaven on high to exercise dominion on the land. I no longer consent to that evil. I am seeking my Lord on how I can obey him to do exactly that. Exercise dominion. And in that, you will acquire property. You see? And in the definition, Webster's definition of property, notice he says, you have an exclusive right. That's that's the first thing out of his out of his uh, mind. Property is a noun, and he says the exclusive right of possessing and enjoying and disposing of a thing. So, exclusive right. That's a key phrase in this American Christian definition of property. You and I have exclusive right to property. And property is also something that we can dispose of. Property is something that we have dominion over. That's a key word word there. So we have exclusive right, we have disposing, then we have dominion. And then Webster says, this is the foundation of man's property. So foundation. There's another key word in the definition of property, the foundation, and that's what we see in the created order when God made all property, and then he was clear on that property that we're to exercise dominion over, which is everything but you and I. You don't see anything in the scriptures of man is to exercise dominion over man. Because if that was so, uh, everybody couldn't exercise dominion because man would be dominated by others, by a few. And truth to be told that is exactly where we are that's exactly what took place after the disobedience of the first man adam and uh, him failing to cover his wife 
from a complete stranger, an enemy threat to their family government. <clears throat> he, he failed to protect his wife. She was beguiled, enticed to do what she shouldn't have. However, the law of coverture, yes, Adam could invoke that common law right of it is a right for a man to protect his wife from intruders outside of the home. But he failed to do that. <clears throat> Nevertheless, our king came to effect a work over hell, death, and the grave. And now men who are redeemed out of that lawlessness were called to do exactly that which he said from the beginning, and that's to exercise dominion over his land and protect our wives from intruders. We should not be letting us married men, letting our wives be stand in harm's way and have to deal with those attacks that happen outside of our home. That's the domain for us to exercise the king's authority, the power of the king's love in the world, and to have our precious wives be keeping the home as a castle for us men. That's a kingdom view of marriage and family life. So, Property includes that which you have the exclusive right to, you can dispose of, you are exercising dominion, <clears throat> and it is the foundation of uh, man's property, yeah, that the created order, the, the, the dominion mandate, same. That is the foundation for man's property in the earth in all its productions. Let me come into some scriptures on the biblical basis of property. I'm reading from uh, a compilation of some scriptures and world overcoming truths, these governmental principles that are rooted in America that are uh, and based on the Bible from a work of Jim Rose, my friend, master teacher, a guide to American Christian education for the home and the school. This too, you can find online, a guide to American Christian education for the home and school. <clears throat> and so let's, after now looking at Webster's definition of property, let's look at the biblical record. In Psalms 50, it says, verse 10 and 12, For every beast of the forest is mine, and the cattle upon a thousand hills. For the world is mine, and the fullness thereof. So I'm reading God's ownership of the natural world. <clears throat> God's ownership. Okay. Is God a property owner? Well... In Exodus 19.5, it reads, For the earth, 
for all, actually, for all the earth is mine. Leviticus 25, 23. The the land shall not be sold forever, for the land is mine. For you are strangers and sojourners with me. Psalm 24, verse 1. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and they that dwell therein. Mm. Mm. You are property of the Most High. That is good news. That we don't belong to fallen men. Haggai. Haggai. Verse two, or chapter two, verse eight: The silver is mine, and the gold is mine, says the Lord of Hosts. Then, what about God's ownership of the souls of men? Deuteronomy thirty-two, verse six: Is not he thy father that hath bought thee? Hath need not made thee and established thee? Ezekiel eighteen, four: Behold, all souls are mine, as the soul of the Father, so also the soul of the Son is mine. And then God owns man by right of redemption. So first, there's the biblical basis that God owns all things, including man, by right of creation. Now, by right of redemption. That's about the work of the cross of Christ. 1 Corinthians 3.23, And ye are Christ, and Christ is God's. 1 Corinthians 6.20 For ye are bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Ephesians 2.10 For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Alright, so God God owns all things. And as we also know, in Him, Christ Jesus, all things consist. So there's a biblical basis of property, that property, ownership, exclusive right to something is how God created this reality for us. All right, that's the biblical basis of property. But now, what about a biblical basis for private property. Well, let me read another set of scriptures for your consideration. Exodus 20, verse 15, thou shalt not steal. Exodus twenty two twelve, and if it be stolen from him, he shall make restitution unto the owner thereof. So if something is stolen, restitution is the remedy to that. That means to bring it back to the rightful owner, and actually extra, a little extra for the trouble. Uh, That's what happens. The just view of of dealing with someone who has stolen private property, it's not enough to restore that which was stolen. There needs to be a restitution something to communicate that you're broken over the fact that you stole something or something that was stole. All right. Deuteronomy 19.4 You shall not remove thy neighbor's landmark, which they of old time have set in thine inheritance, which thou hast inherited in the land that the Lord thy God has given thee to possess. 
Matthew 20, verse 15. Is it not lawful for me to do what I will with my own? Acts 5, 4. While it remained, was it not your own? And after it was sold, was it not in your own power? Ephesians 4.28 Let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor, working with his hands, the thing which is good, that he may have to give to him that needs, that needeth it. First yeah. Peter 4 verse 15 Let none of you suffer as a murderer, or as a thief, or as an evildoer or as a busybody in other men's business. So, thieves are a reality. Theft, stealing, and thieves are a reality because private property is an irrefutable truth of the scriptures. Irrefutable. At this point, let's take a little break to hear from one of Sean Morgan's sponsors. Be back in just a moment. Gold is near all-time highs. Has it reached its peak? Did you miss the boat? No, I don't think so. The exploding debt, change in the interest rate cycle, political and economic turmoil have caused the current move in gold. And those things are getting worse. In fact, Citibank projected gold to hit $3,000 an ounce over the next 12 to 18 months. I encourage you to protect and grow your investment portfolio with gold. I trust Dr. Kirk Elliott with Sovereign Advisors. With over 25 years of experience and two PhDs, Kirk Elliott is the best of the best in the industry. Call his office at 720-605-3900 and tell him Sean Morgan sent you, or just click on the link in the description to get that free consultation. Before I continue on this subject, this next governmental principle of property, this American Christian principle of property, a little administrative words here to say that uh, if any, if you are listening and you perceive that there's been a delay in this episode being published, truth be known to you that uh, I had actually recorded this several days ago, and it, it turned out to be a two-hour recording, only to find out at the end of the recording that I was not recording. <laughs> And so here I was at my desk for two hours elucidating this governmental principle of property. And I was just talking to myself. So that was just momentarily disheartening to where I needed to take a few days off to recover. (laughs) To where I could come back to the microphone, be recharged. And that does, so something like that, that did set me back. I am a little bit behind in getting these uh, released because my intention was to have these uh, released leading up to Independence Day here, July the 4th in 2022. And there was going to be actually one remaining just after Independence Day, which that's just the way it worked out. Now it's questionable whether I it'll be, um, you know, I'll get the first six it's probably going to be a couple after Independence Day. 
So I appreciate I appreciate your patience and even more so uh, taking the time to listen to what I have been listen to in introductory form. This is highly introductory. As I've mentioned on earlier podcasts in the series, there are series, there are schools dedicated. They're principal approach schools. These seven principles, there are schools that flesh this out from kindergarten all the way to senior high school. Yeah, like, uh, (laughs) there's, and I have some of that material here that's just, I'm bringing it forward to you in introductory form, and, and I can do that, I'm moved to do that because even though I didn't attend one of these schools, I was introduced to these principles as I am introducing them to you. And I have been absorbing the material that I could get my hands on to that takes me into the scriptures to see these principles that have always been there, but they have not been deduced uh, by an average, um, many men, most men in pulpits. And I would say most men because Let's look at the quality and conduct of our nation. Uh, that is to say that Christians are most responsible for where we are as a nation. And when the nation is is under force and threat of force and under the influence of our enemies, the manipulation of our enemies, that means Christians, they, first and foremost have accommodated the evil empire, they themselves haven't truly surrendered to our unseen king. And I want you to consider that for your life. I did consider it for mine when there was nobody else around, after my teachers, you know, the class is over, the week is over, the session in these things, and I'm marinating, and I am moved to govern myself this way, studying these things for many, many years, to the point that I said, I said to myself, I and before the Lord, crying out in prayer, that I have to live this way, because this is the American way. This is the true American way. Not the modern one, not the manufactured, fabricated way of life in America that's uh, got no power. But the way that I'm describing to you now and have for the last several episodes, uh, this way that I'm bringing forward to you is beyond shouting ground. And so... And so that, you know, one, even, even celebrating our, our nation's birthday, if you are here in America, if you consider yourself an American, one day, well, our birthday each year can culminate in that day, right? But if you think you're going to get clear on what it, how to overcome our enemies and, 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 and the true idea and the foundation of America, just because uh, you had a celebration for one day, that is actually part of the attack on our country. 
is to empty it of its efficacious and virtuous history and power. This is the first of its kind. America is the first of its kind, but it need not be the last. It is not the last by any stretch. It shouldn't be. And that is to say that America is not the standard of anything. It's not the standard so that when I make much of what's good about our country and others that you may be listening to that make much about what's good about our country. And so, you know, a form of boasting, if you will, elevating. As far as I'm concerned, uh, and, and my conscience is clear, I'm making much of the mighty works of the unseen king on this piece of land. You see, he has land all over the globe, and there are different qualities of and characteristics of all those lands. Like our friends up in Canada, of course, that land is similar to here, I believe. It's, it's still North America. But I have family and a few friends in Japan, the native country of my wife, my mother from Scotland, my fam- lots of family there. And I, I, yeah, I think about them often. I want to come there again with my family. There's my father's homeland of Turkey. Sean Morgan is down in Brazil. But this land here, America, I am dedicating my life and my life and my family while I'm alive to be, to internalize and to master what is uh, so thoroughly good about this country, unlike any other, that it's, it's, it's just to be able to contrast, compare and contrast, and see that the ideas that I'm sharing, because they are biblical, they couldn't, they can't, they ought to be seen in other lands. But now I'm getting thoroughly equipped about my own country first and foremost, and I can say to you that I I'm not aware of any written record of other countries that are teaching these things. It's to say though that though they're biblical and they're available to anybody around the world here in America. They have their fullest expression, these ideas. Fullest expression, you see. And because that's true, then that is hopeful for other nations. If you're in one of those other nations listening to me, you can begin to apply these things to your nation and actually other nations have, in particular, where... uh, Sean Morgan should be encouraged, is that in Brazil, there are a body of people there who have come up here, gotten equipped, gotten trained by the Foundation for American Christian Education. And some folks have even gone down there to Brazil to teach these governmental principles that there's a bo- there's a work down here in Brazil. San Paulo, I think, down in there. So, uh, Take that to heart. Consider that. That these American Christian principles of government, you can pour your life into these things and experience the power of the King's love in your life today. So we're talking about property. We just defined it from Webster's, looked at a bunch of scriptures showing the biblical basis a property and then a biblical basis for private property. And so 
what comes to your mind when you think of property? There's numerous types. I th what comes to my mind most pronouncedly is land and house. Right? We think of property. And when we consider fresh the biblical basis and what Webster said about having exclusive use of it, it means exclusive. Yeah, exclusive. There's nobody else that can tell you how to use it or dispose of it. Consider then land and house versus property tax. All right, so I'm going to make some contrast here to demonstrate that uh, and, and, and consider, question ourselves, do we have private property? Property that's ex exclusive to you. And you may think so with your land and house, but then there's this dastardly little thing called property tax. And we understand that when we, if we don't, if and when we don't pay that property tax, people lose their property by complete strangers. Do we have private property today when there's property tax? Do we own our automobiles that we paid for or were, were given when you consider the driver's license and registration? If you are in business for yourself or you are working at a business, is there a license involved there for that business to exist? That without which you are ooh, illegal. Consider the fruit of your labor that you are compensated for. That is a form of property. And I had never heard that before until I got introduced by Jim Rose and Catherine Dang and others about that one's labor, the fruit of that labor is your property. But then along comes along income tax. Yeah. Clearly some strangers there that believe with threats of force, force and threat of force. When I look at that as a terrorism, quite, quite frankly, domestic terrorism of an agency called the IRS. And then there's a few states that have state taxing agencies concerning the fruit of your labor. So uh, <clears throat> do you own that? Is that your property? Truthfully. Do you have exclusive use to the fruit of your labor or must you divulge your labor to on, on, on government forms to complete strangers who then can and will use that against you? Like, do you have a contract with these people? When our Supreme Law of the Land, Article 1, Section 10, states that no state shall make a law abridging the obligation of contracts. So the right to contract is a reality in this country. 
agreements freely entered to, knowingly, willingly, with full disclosure, those become the basis of law between the parties and not a third party, a stranger, but yet there is accommodation with those strangers and third parties. And so that needs to be looked at. And I, and I did look at that as I was learning these things about property and then I'm getting into the income taxation and 17 years now I've, I've cut myself off. The Lord helped me to, um, I'm going to have economic liberty because that is Christ. That you get to exercise your conscience over the use and disposition of your property. So your labor is a, your fruit of your labor is your property, not income taxation. That's a denial of your, the labor, the property of your labor. Okay. And then how about freedom? Such as movement, speech, and assembly. Those are forms of property, right? Freedom of movement, of bodily locomotion, freedom of speech, freedom of assembly, freedom of religion, freedom of the press. And then another form of property that uh, I rarely hear people speak about is your signature. Now, here we're, here's, the, here's a little flip from the attacks on our property where, interestingly, your signature is actually protected by law. And that is to say that somebody using your signature commits the crime of forgery. So very, very interesting how uh, that that is protected by law. There is an acknowledgement there that that signature is your property. It's also a form of art, interestingly, and that, that your signature expresses your identity, who you are. It's unique to you, you see. So there is one aspect of property that is protected by laws that forbid forgery. All right, so now I'm going to read from James Rose's Guide to, an, to American Christian Education. I'm going to read several paragraphs here as we continue on the governmental principle of property and the Christian idea of it. He says, Many Americans, and certainly most Christian Americans, would agree that it is vital for those who would live righteously, to deliberately maintain a lively, sensitive, and uncompromised conscience. That state of mind which decides whether something is morally right or wrong. But to earlier generations of American Christians, conscience was much more highly regarded than it is today. Through the teaching and preaching of colonial clergymen and the exposition of God's Word in the colonial Christian home and school, the vast majority of early Americans were educated in biblical law, which quickened a conscience dead in trespasses and sins. Ephesians 2.1 By clearly and boldly defining sin, and that is what pleases and what displeases, 
God. By contrast today, most individuals, even those seeking to live Christian lives, are conditioned by the prevailing carnal, worldly culture which blurs the distinctions between right and wrong. That's about the government lawyers. Determining conduct, yeah, uh, blurring the distinction between right and wrong, determining conduct according to prevailing popular views based on what the majority is doing and what one can, quote, get away with, end quote. Rather than looking to the internal demands of a Bible-based Christian conscience, the individual is encouraged to look at the external situation, what most people are doing and saying. Rather than turning inward to examine oneself in the light of God's word, the individual turns outward, extends his mental antenna, and is satisfied if his actions are in tune with the times with prevailing mores. An earlier generation of Americans felt that Christian conscience was a distinct possession and that it was given to the individual by God himself, and thus it was vital not to lose it or let it, or let it be diminished, violated, or trespassed upon. The believer was convinced that Christian conscience was, in a word, a kind of property, valuable property. As James Madison said, conscience is the most sacred of all property. Consider how conscience was understood by the Founding Fathers over 150 years ago. So now, uh, James Rose has Webster's definition of conscience. It is a noun. It is internal or self-knowledge or judgment of right and wrong. The faculty, power, or principle within us which decides upon the lawfulness or unlawfulness of our own actions and affections and instantly condemns or approves them. Conscience is first occupied in ascertaining our duty before we proceed to action, then in judgment of our actions when performed. To Christians of America's first two centuries, conscience applied both to their affections and actions, internal and external, in every aspect of their lives. By the same token, Christians of the, of the term property apply... Christians of the founding father generation understood that the term property applied both to the internal and external, the seen and the unseen, and related to much more than physical property per se. As James Madison wrote, in the limited conventional sense, and he quotes him in a larger body, but now what I'm going to do is I'm going to switch to that quote more fully from another volume of evidence of our founding history. This is the Christian History of the Constitution of the United States of America, Christian Self-Government, published by the Foundation for American Christian Education. So Jim Rose quotes this, but I'm going to quote it from here a little more that he has in his volume. So here's James Madison in 1792. A man's land or merchandise or money is called his property. In the latter sense, 
a man has a property in his opinions and the free communication of them. He has a property of peculiar value in his religious opinions and in the profession and practice dictated by them. He has an equal property in the free use of his faculties and free choice of the objects on which to employ them. In a word, a man is said to have a right to his property. He may be equally said to have a property in his rights. Where an excess of power prevails, property of no sort is duly respected. I'm going to stop for just a moment there. I'll pick it up to finish it. That's about halfway. But when he, when Madison says, where an excess of power prevails, an excess of power prevails. That is a key phrase. Where an excess of power prevails, property of no sort is duly respected. Immediately, I thought of the IRS, the USDA, the DOT, the DMV, and the FDA just to start, okay? Where there's an excess of power prevailing. You see? And then Madison goes on. No man is safe in his opinions, his person, his faculties, or his possessions. Where there is an excess of liberty, the effect is the same. Government is instituted to protect property of every sort. Mm. I, I just want to read that again. Here's James Madison. He's the chief architect of our Constitution. He said, Government is instituted to protect property of every sort. If you have friends that work in the government, I would ask that you would recommend this podcast episode and let's help each other renew our minds to the american christian idea of property and of government so madison says government is instituted to protect property of every sort this being the end of government that's the end of government conscience is the most sacred of all property other property depending in part on positive law, the exercise of that being a natural and unalienable right. A just security to property is not afforded by that government under which equal taxes oppress one species of property and reward another species of property. So what you're hearing from James Madison is the Christian idea of property is first that which is internal. He says so. Your your faculties. Your conscience. In fact, this is what is called liberty of conscience. You see, this is a clear, compelling piece of evidence that Christians are the ones who founded America, not pagans, 
not those who worship false gods, but those who worship the one true lawgiver. When you have from them writing such things as property that cannot be taken from you, you have to give it up. You see, that's about consent. That's a, that's a very key word in, in the founding of America and our form of government is consent. You have the power to say yes or no to those who want something from you in an official capacity or in any capacity. You see, the Christian idea of property, this is first internal, liberty of conscience. That is what the good news of our king does for an individual is to liberate the mind, the, the, the actually the conscience, yeah, the, the, the conscience, all right? And to and and to protect your internal property of your convictions, your opinions, your thoughts, your talents, your ideas. Those are all your internal property. And then you have your will, you have your spirit, your soul, your mind, and emotions to protect those from intruders and to cultivate them to become exceedingly beautiful and excellent. And that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is where he is working, where his gospel is found working, where his spirit is found working, his good news, where, well, well, his good news is that Jesus himself wants to occupy you from within. Can, Can you see that? Can you hear that? That there's divine life that wants to come in you come into all who will surrender of their lawless, corrupt life and take on the precious stones and jewels of our king and guard that, 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 that precious property. Because see, all that property, that's a deposit of Jesus Christ in you, in me, is the liberation of our conscience to where, oh, now I can decide because God equipped me with a conscience to decide on the lawfulness and unlawfulness of my actions and also that of others that are demanding something of me or asking something of me, that upon hearing a presentment of what is true, okay, the king's law of liberty, considering what he has said there that it's true and that how that informs me for how I'm living life today on his land, in relationship to others. That's a gift from heaven on high. That is that is your property. See? Yeah, it's a gift. And when, you, when you're given gifts, you don't discard them. Not if you really recognize that it's a gift. But it's amazing. We are in a time, to our judgment, that I believe it would be fair to say that the majority have discarded the gift of their... Uh, of their conscience, of their power to consent, and of all that they see that's wrong, which is to uh, acknowledge us in within, and yet continue to accommodate that wrong, that evil. See, that's the greater evil. When you can see something that's wrong, which is the Lord has shown it to you, right? He's shown it to you by your your conscience. He equally can then, and on a greater level, show you by 
the working of his spirit revealing from his perfect law of liberty. This is a governmental Christian principle on this land here in America. That conscience is the most sacred of all the property you own. And so what is the quality of your conscience? And as you read the Bible, as you read the King's Law of Liberty, do you take notice of the fact that the conscience is referred to there in the New Testament many times, up to up to 32 times in the New Testament, depending on your translation. I'm going to read a few passages for your consideration. Romans 2.15 They which show the the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, and their thoughts accusing or excusing one another. Romans 9.1 I say the truth in Christ, I lie not, my conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Ghost. Hebrews 9.14 How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Mm. That passage has been helpful to me over the years. so that I would meditate on how powerful the blood of Jesus Christ is, is to purge my conscience from dead works. That is about liberty of conscience. I'm not under any condemnation. I read over in uh, Romans 8, 1, there's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. See, that is the born-again life. That is, so so the born-again life has this corollary. If you wonder, if if you're wondering whether you're truly born again, The corollary to the new birth is liberty of conscience. All right. Are you, in other words, are you, do, do you feel condemned about some aspect of your life? If you do, I want you to hear me very carefully when I say that the hand and the work of Jesus Christ is so powerful. It's so evident. It's so unlike what every false religion has no power to do. And that is to liberate the non-material conscience. Your conscience is nothing you can hold in your hand. It's a non-material substance. Just like faith is a substance that you can't get your hand on either. But it's very, very real. Faith is. There's so much to us that is so it is more real, and you don't see it with the natural eye. You see it with the eye of faith. You see it by the effect that it produces. You see? 
when you, yeah, when you, when you, when you're born from above, you don't know when you got born. You don't know where, as Jesus said in John 3, the Nicodemus, you don't know where the wind comes from or where it's going. But you see the effects. We see the effects of the wind, but we can't see the wind. But we know it exists because we see it doing things. And so the new birth, though we may not know, and like no, we don't know when we're born from above, truly, there's going to be a certain effect and effects. And one of those effects is this Christ or Christian idea of property, and that is your conscience. The sacredness, as Madison says, the most sacred of all property is your conscience. Okay? Thank God for this man, this, this man who had a genuine faith in the Lord. Your conscience. And when you are born again, which is a work by the, of the blood, the sinless blood of Christ, to purge away your, your sins, it purges away Purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living lawgiver. And if you feel like you, there is some aspect of your thought life, your conscience, that is under condemnation, it's bothering you, then cry out to him right now. Or as, as you finish listening to this episode about the Christ idea of property being your conscience and be liberated once and for all because that is his handiwork. He says, whom the sun sets free is free indeed. And one of those expressions, one of the expressions of that freedom, one of the evidence is liberty of conscience. You are a free man. You are a free woman to hear truth. Even to the point you hear the truth to your, about yourself, the truth against. Actually, I don't. I shouldn't say even to the point. That's the starting point. To hear truth against yourself. Yeah, that, that it's so easy for any of us to hear truth for other people, <laughs> right? Oh yeah, we're. I mean, I, I believe we're all guilty of that we're hearing truth for other people. We're hearing it for oh somebody. We hear some truth and we think of somebody else that uh, ought to live this way. Well, the higher truth is we ought to live this way. And so are you free enough to hear hard things against yourself? Because the person who can't hear things, hard things against himself, but will object to it and doesn't want to hear like the Pharisees who stopped up the ears because of the things that Jesus said and then they're gnashing their teeth, that is not the new birth. That is not evidence of the born again life. You want to have clear evidence that you are born from above. You're one of the king's redeemed men or women. And first and foremost will be you having the new birth will be evidence that your conscience is purged from dead works. You have liberty of conscience. So, if we see that we're not having much liberty to govern ourselves, the external expression of that, the, the external restraint of that did not start there. It starts from within into your person of your conscience who 
the, the conscience, which is beholden to God. He holds it. And the question is for you, are you experiencing liberty of your conscience? Right. In fact, let me underscore it with another passage here from Paul the Apostle as well in Acts chapter 24, verse 16. Oh, I actually already read that, but let me read it afresh. Herein do I exercise myself to have a conscience void of offense toward God and toward men. Okay. Having a conscience void of offense, void of offending both your lawgiver and your neighbor. That is a gift from heaven on high. And as I was learning to walk in this with increasing victory and faithfulness to this governmental principle, I want to share a little bit of history with you concerning my relationship with my father, the last, in particular, the last two years of his life. Because uh, the the last, the last two years of his life, well, my father has five children. I am his firstborn. And as is true for a lot of fathers with their children, although not exclusively like this, but there is a lot of hardness of heart. There's a lot of breakdown in the relationship between fathers and their children. And that produces a curse on the king's land. If you read the closing verses out of Malachi, the last chapter of the book, uh, the last book of the Bible, and the last chapter and the closing verses, right before the 400 years of silence, there between the, the, the older and new covenants. There's a curse on the land because the hearts of the fathers are not into the children and vice versa. And so the, the land is a curse. There, there's hardening of heart. So it's interesting to see that truth that what's in the heart will defile the land or bring healing, healing to the land. And so, you know, <clears throat> I believe my father was a, was a believer. He, he, he rejected Islam, uh, but he needed to be discipled. And that is what Jesus commanded. And you're hard-pressed to find churches really disciple. I mean, like, instead of being preoccupied with meetings, the officialness of things, let's get into the unofficial things of just everyday life and business. And so there are scores and multitudes of Christians that never really experienced victory in their walk, and I can say that true of my dad, that uh, there was hurts there between him and his children, but now I'm responsible for myself, not my siblings, as much as I'd like for them to have victory over the hurts where my dad is concerned, I'm going to have victory, because that's what I read in, in the King's Law, is to have a conscience void of offense. And so... The last two years of my father's life, when when uh, his other four children were not motivated to spend time with him, I did have my father with 
me with my family on a very regular basis, very regular, as in every week at a minimum. In particular, at this time in the early to mid-2000s, my first and second born daughters, Victoria and Joy, we had them in classical piano lessons by Lindy Coe, Lindy Coe, <clears throat> a neighbor of ours in Corbett, Oregon. And my father would help us out on that day in particular on a couple things. First of all, uh, Kyoko, my wife, would fax him a grocery list of items to buy, usually at Whole Foods there in Gresham, Oregon. Me, I'm, I'm uh, running my business, got employees, there's things going on. I might not even be home. Uh, but it's actually, I think at this point I was home a lot because I, I had a shop with an office and I would be there for the lunch meal with my dad. So I made a point to be home. I didn't like running out the first of the week to, uh, yeah, I just was picking up from whatever happened over the weekend to uh, manage things well. But on Mondays... Yes, my dad would pick up a fax out of his machine, fax machine, get some groceries for my wife that helped her out. He would go buy those groceries, bring them over. Maybe he'd arrive around 10, 1030. And then he would help Kyoko with my two little ones go over to piano lessons. And one while one was being instructed and mom being right next to there, right next to the child with the instruction, then my dad would be with the other child, occupying her until it was her turn to receive that lesson for the day. He helped out tremendously in that way. And then they'd all come home. It's lunchtime now. And then we would come, yeah, we'd sit down for lunch, have some good conversation. And after lunch, then it was reading time for the girls and they would plop themselves on the couch and bring over their, all their little books. And my dad would sit there and read to them. That's a wonderful thing for grandpa to do. Read to the grandchildren. And they would let him read. They never got tired. Like, he would read for easily an hour and sometimes even longer to the point where he would be nodding off and, and fall asleep. <laughs> They just had, my girls had staying power to be read to for a long time. So that went on the last two years of his life to where the January of 2007, we had some ice show up in the area. My dad comes out of his apartment and he slips on some ice and hits his tailbone on the ground that created excruciating pain and as we discovered once he got the x-ray what happened is that uh, he compressed his spine and there's soft tissue between each collar of the spinal column there's nerves in there and it sent, sent excruciating pain throughout his body so that uh we did get these x-rays and found out that he had uh, a rare form of cancer, actually. And that was multiple myeloma, bone marrow cancer. Which explained why he was having 
pains in his body, his joints. Some of his knuckles on his fingers were like marbles. And as much as he would eat well, I just as a, as a bachelor, because my parents got divorced when I was a junior in high school, sadly, and he never was able to remarry, but then that would be the Lord's will anyway, because uh, when that other spouse is remaining alive, the Lord says, you don't, you don't get married to your divorcee spouse. Yeah, there needs to be reconciliation. All right. But what happened is, yes, he was in excruciating pain. He couldn't sleep in his bed. He had to be in a recliner, so I got him a recliner in an elevated position. We took him to the hospital for uh, biopsy and long-term health care. And uh, he, he, the pain was so great that uh, he needed, um, you know, when he was in the hospital, he'd give morphine. But at home, well, he needed, some, he needed that morphine. So he had me take him to Oregon Health Science University one, was it Sunday, I believe. And... What ended up happening is that uh, fluid developed in his lungs and then he gets pneumonia, or at least this is the story I'm told, and I, I am hearing that this is kind of how it goes, typically for a lot of people. But uh, he has difficulty breathing with pneumonia there in his lungs, and then they have to put a ventilator on him, and his body just goes down from there. It's just breaking down. He can't handle the stress to where he ended up in ICU, and I came back the next day or two. My, one of my sisters showed up to watch him all night. But then, yeah, when she, she informed me that he, he was taken into ICU, I had to get over there. And there he is on life supports and was so for <clears throat> several days. Siblings came around, the grandchildren, and just being sustained on life supports to where I'm talking with the doctors about uh, his condition. And I have the prerogative as, the, as his oldest son, as his oldest, to uh, decide on his uh, disposition and just wanting to bring him off of those life supports. And the reality is that when we did that, he had already passed. Uh, he didn't, he did not recover. There was no natural, yeah, no natural life in him. And that uh, was a very disheartening time. I'm broken over losing my father and not being able to be there really in his last thoughts and, and words. <clears throat> However, a gift of the Lord has been given to me out of this. And that's the subject matter that I'm teaching you today on the Christian idea of property is your conscience and the sacredness of that because as is so true for accidents leading unto death, is that we don't know when any one of us or anyone in our life is going to leave the king's land and be joined with him in the skies. None of us. No, I didn't know. But what I was, the beauty that came out of these ashes is that, is that I was given the last two years of his life. I, I, I have deposits of that. 
you see. Uh, whereas my siblings don't. They don't have the memory of spending time with him for various hard-hearted readings, reasons and relational breakdown, but that I wanted to overcome that so that um, before he had that accident, I actually took him out for dinner to the Olive Garden in Gresham, Oregon, and I just wanted to make sure that uh, my conscience was clear there to say if I've dishonored him in any way, I want to... If I have, I want to just ask your forgiveness, Dad. And uh, he just told me, let bygones be bygones. That's exactly what he said. And I I didn't press him on it. I kind of wish I had asked for a little clarification. But he was a man of few words, quite frankly. And, uh, but nevertheless, that was his reply. And the fact that I had the opportunity to spend time with them and ask them and have them around my family. Don't you know that I have the power of an utterly clear conscience before my father, who is passed in, in May of 2007, and I don't have any regrets wishing that I had done something different, wish I had did this. What, I, that, I don't have that at all. Like, I did exactly what I was learning to do in protecting the property of my conscience, and as much as I was able to, to have a conscience void of offense before my father, I do have that, and that is with me today. That stewarding of that property some years ago, I have it with me today, and I'm sharing it with you. I'm unpacking it, uh, some aspect of my history with my father and my conscience involved in that, the sacredness of my conscience, that there is no regrets. I have, as, as Paul said in Acts 24, 16, I exercise myself to always have a conscience void of offense toward God and toward man. Okay, And so, um, the Lord will vindicate you when you have, when you, when you take your conscience that serious, when you, when you guard it, you protect that internal property, you see. And I see the Lord vindicating me when I have opposition from some uh, folks, some, you know, brother-in-laws that just don't get me, and... Uh, uh, I'm vindicated, and even there, people can't see it. They can't see the vindication of my life before the Lord to honor my father. But nevertheless, I have on record honoring my father, and I trust that that little story out of my life, my history, will be found encouraging to you if it applies, if there's a strained relationship. As much as it depends upon you, do what you know your conscience is saying to you and have one, have a conscience that's void of offense before that person or persons, you see, and, and, and walk, demonstrate that you have spiritual liberty, which is, that's the new birth. Demonstrate that you have that, the new birth, by exercising your liberty, the liberty of your conscience. Okay? That's what the Christian life looks like. And I have many examples of Christians who have interfaced with me. They they don't have a, 
conscious void of offense. Not with me. Uh, uh, because they haven't loved me. They have when it really counts. When the pressure came on, when there's the money question or some other controlling element other than the Holy Spirit, <laughs> uh, they, they, they've, they've brought out the knives, as you perhaps have heard me say before. Brought out the knives. And so uh, they, don't, they don't show me evidence that they are born from above. And then to continue to call on the name, call as if they are Christian. Uh, friends, that's where, when I did the series on the power of the king's love, there was an episode or two there to demonstrate that, um, well, the whole series is that this faith is not in word only, but in power. And when people have a form of godliness without that power, do you read the next sentence there in that passage there in Timothy, first or second Timothy? It says, avoid them. Avoid them. Okay. And so here's another aspect of the Christian life. We're to avoid people that don't have any of the power. Now, we can train them. We want to disciple people to walk in the power. But if they are hostile against it, then avoid them like the plague, as the Scripture says, to avoid them. Have no fellowship with unfruitful works of darkness. Because liberty of conscience is another manifestation of the King's power in you. Okay? So I want you to tie those, tie those two together. You believe you're born again, then you, that's called spiritual liberty, right? Then you will demonstrate it with liberty of conscience. Liberty of conscience, you see? And as I close this out for today, I'm going to read one remaining passage of Scripture, and that is found in James chapter 3. James is considered the Proverbs of the Newer Covenant. Wisdom from on high here. And in James chapter 3, verse 13 to 18, I read, Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. This wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, demonic. For where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing will be there. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield. I'm going to stop right there because that's where I want to make my point. Willing to yield in other translations, and I think it's the Amplified, it will say willing to yield to reason. Okay, reasoning. See, that is about your mind. That is about your conscience, ultimately. Are you a person that is born from above, you will be marked by somebody, the wisdom of from above is willing to yield, open to reason, okay, willing to yield, yeah, that's the other, uh, yeah, open to reason, willing to yield to reason by others, yourself and others, and that's the wisdom of God, that is what it looks like to be born from above, is that you have a conscience that's willing to yield. doesn't mean that you are going to change your mind, 
but that you're willing. You, you, you'll hear. You'll hear an opposing idea. And that's to say, uh, in a different way, what I was saying earlier, can you hear hard things against yourself? That's, that's, a, that's how to hear that. Are you a person that's willing to yield? Are you open to reason? Which is to say, can you hear? It may not be hard to hear, but that's where we need to go. Our, yeah, because that's about our character. And I have so many examples of people who profess and don't possess the ability. Yeah, the ability, the liberty. They don't have, which is the liberty, to hear hard things against oneself. They're afraid to hear hard things. And so fear involves torment. But the king's love casts out that fear. He's not, a, he, he's not about fear. He's about faith. You see? He's not about torment. He's about happiness and liberty. Okay? And our declaration of 76 is very clear that we have been given a certain unalienable rights. Among these are life, liberty, and what? The pursuit of happiness. Do you believe that what you're doing is of the Lord, that it's of his character, that it's honorable and noble and just and excellent and worthy of praise and of a good report? If you believe that about what you're doing, your endeavors, then be willing to hear hard things against yourself because you're the the, the Lord's liberated individual unto your conscience. Your spirit is born from above. It's been liberated. And now your conscience, it too, as you meditate on the king's law of liberty, you, it'll become more sensitive and finer. And that's, that's about the Holy Spirit. See, when you're born again, you're given the Holy Spirit because he's the one who makes you born again. Nobody's getting born again without the king's spirit. All right. So when we hear about spirit-filled Christian living, that's the born-again life. You, you don't become a Christian and then uh, maybe you might be spirit-filled or not. You can, <laughs> No. Uh, of course, there's always fillings of fresh endowments from our Lord. But you're not born again unless you have been given the down payment of the Holy Spirit. That's in Ephesians chapter 1. You look at it in there. Uh divine life. The eternity comes into you the moment you are born from above. So you walk the king's land with eternal disposition, eternal destiny today, not tomorrow. Today. Tomorrow will come and you'll you'll continue therein. But today, if you are born from above, then you'll it'll be evidenced by the fact that you have been liberated in your conscience and your willing to yield to reason. You're willing to hear hard things against yourself. And that's my position for my life. When people get ugly at me, people want to turn me over to Satan for the destruction of my flesh. That's a Christian doing that. I have that in written form from that individual. They don't have within them the king's good news. They think I am out to lunch. They think I'm a heretic. They can think what they want. Look at the evidence. Look, come and look at my life. 
But what has gone on is that people cannot stand the words coming out of my mouth and yet cannot demonstrate that what I'm saying is in any way in violation of the king's law of liberty. And yet it could be. But if I'm not seeing it, then it's up to you to show me if you see something in your conscience that is egregious in my life, then you have a duty to come and bring it to me. And so for a lack of that, we have all the kind of murder. We have murder in the body of Christ because people's conscience, they're not understanding liberty of conscience. This truth right here, they're not understanding stewarding this property of your conscience that James Madison, what, fourth president of the United States, chief architect of the, the U.S. Constitution, our supreme law, conscience. You hear anybody talking about that? Well, praise the Lord. I trust you'll be thankful that you're hearing about it today on this episode of Scriptures for Patriots Overcoming America's Enemies with Christian Self-Government. And this, this, is, this is a governmental principle of property and the Christian idea, which is first, property is internal. It is even unto your, your conscience. And so there it is for you defining it from Webster's Dictionary, giving you biblical basis for it, and seeing historically, when we look at, when we consider James Madison, and there are many other founders that they just, I'm not going to take the time to uh, get into it. There's some uh, good things here from Sam Adams. You know, when we talk about the revolution, the father of the revolution is Samuel Adams. That's what uh, has been uh, bestowed upon him. And so um, we have a lot of corruption in our government, a lot of degradation and character, not because it started there, but because there are individuals there, men, and sadly a few women, but men are most responsible, as much as women are responsible, men are most responsible for where we are, and those men are found in homes, and so that's why your home, Mr. Householder and Madam Householder, your home is key to America's freedom today. Experience it first for yourself with this American Christian governmental principle of property slash conscience, which is your most sacred property. I trust that this information, the truth of the King's perfect law of liberty, has been most helpful to you. I encourage you, if you have any questions, comments, Go ahead and, and make those available to me. You can do that uh, depending on where you're listening. If it's on YouTube, you can certainly leave comments there for others to see. If you want to bring it over to our ministry website, visit us at libertyisthelaw.us, and you can add your comment to today's episode. I will see that and respond to you, and let's get let's get to know one another. Let's, let's uh, have a meeting of the minds, but I'm here to be of service to you for the reordering, rebuilding of your life and family government, your fa- your self-government and family government, out of the ruins, they're utterly decrepit ruins of Babylonian captivity, and you, the king has liberated me, and this is what you're getting from me, is a liberated man that is utterly befuddling, befuddling to the natural mind, because I have liberty of conscience. The king has touched me to do that, and however imperfectly I am living my life, because of course there's imperfections. Uh, that's me working out my salvation that I must with fear and trembling and go ahead and uh, 
engage me to the degree that uh, you're liberated to do that. But seek the Lord and get clear on governing yourself under property and that which is internal to you, your, your, your conscience. And so I look forward to receiving your comments. If you're listening on Apple iTunes, you can leave up to a five-star review. And the, uh, the favor- favorable reviews do help others to find this uh, podcast ministry. I pray that you will do that and uh, consider looking at our mission uh, for this ministry at libertyisthelaw.us. And to our supporters, thank you for your support. Thank you for communicating with me. And we are taking action with our prayers. That's what this series is about, is teaching discipling America back to freedom by coming into these governmental principles of our King. I'll see you next time. Thank you for being a part of our Christian self-government ministry by supporting our sponsor. Don't you feel like giving back to the heroes who risk their lives every day to make the world a safer place? I mean, the military, the police, the firefighters, the first responders, they don't get enough respect or gratitude. To think that there are homeless veterans right now, I mean, they deserve a place to live. Well, my friend Lucas is a veteran who was tired of seeing other vets living on the street, and he started HeroSoapCompany.com. He makes natural soap that's healthier for you and your family. He uses essential oils, goat's milk, coconut oil. And if you have sensitive skin or dry skin, it's really perfect. But you can actually get a subscription and get it delivered to your door every month. But the best part is that it helps heroes like homeless vets get a place to live. Go over to HeroSoapCompany.com, use the coupon code QFAQ to get a discount. And check out all the varieties. And my favorite one's peppermint because of the aroma, the fresh tingly feeling. It's really an awesome natural product for your family. But while you're there, learn about the charities that the Hero Soap Company supports. So you can support the heroes, support your health, support your family with chemical-free soap, and support the channel through HeroSoapCompany.com.